not all doming is a concern or is of concern. We are really talking about doming that stretches the tissues significantly, where the tissues are under full stretch, under the pressure of that exercise. And if they can't control that, I would certainly be modifying, regressing, but to be honest, when we're talking about the head lift and we're trying to understand how much pressure is actually being produced, if we do go back and look at some of the research for intra-abdominal pressure for that particular movement, it's very, very, very low. In fact, there's less pressure produced in doing a head lift than there is in simply standing and breathing. This is Pros Talk Pregnancy the no BS show that's not afraid to get real about all things pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and beyond. I'm talking with visionaries and game changers who are challenging the status quo and changing the world one pregnancy and one birth at a time. I'm Lindsay McCoy, mom of four, lover of the mountains, seeker of knowledge, exercise physiologist, birth doula, and childbirth educator. Basically, I'm an all-around pregnancy and birth nerd. My passion is making pregnancy, childbirth, and recovery better and empowering professionals and families alike. Are you ready? Let's go. Today on the podcast, we have Munira Houdani. Munira <laughs> is a pre- and postpartum physiotherapist who specializes in helping people with diastasis rectus abdominis, DRA for short, rebuild core strength after having a baby. As a trusted leader in her field, it is her mission to create clarity amongst all the confusion so many parents with diastasis and core weakness have so they can finally begin to feel strong again. In addition to helping moms in person and through online programs, she also is passionate about sharing her knowledge and experience with fitness and rehab professionals. She has presented on the topic of DRA at several national and international physiotherapy conferences and also teaches courses on DRA for professionals. Munira's mission is to spread DRA awareness around the world by providing information that is easy to understand, up-to-date, and evidence-based. Welcome, Munira. Thanks oh, thank you time. so much for having me. This is great. So I always like to start by just hearing what led you to do the work you do. Essentially, tell me your tale. <laughs> yeah, sure. So uh, first of all, thank you for having me again. But so a little bit about me. I started uh, in my, my journey in pelvic health about 10 years ago, a little over 10 years ago. Um, and when I first started, you know, there, there weren't too many um, I guess moms to be coming in to see me, but over time that I guess population grew, and I ended up seeing a lot more people who were pregnant. Um, and so, I I sort of was helping them through the kind of preparation phase of pregnancy, and then naturally they would come and see me afterwards for pelvic floor work because I'm a, a pelvic floor physiotherapist, as is the term. Um, but it's very synonymous with just pelvic health physio, um, pre and postnatal physiotherapists. So I was seeing a lot of individuals after they had given birth and they, um, they not only were concerned about their pelvic floor. So that was, that was the interesting thing is although I was trained in primarily pelvic health, their, uh, one of their primary concerns was actually how they looked in terms of mm -hmm. their stomach, because yeah. for a lot of them, the stomach didn't 
always kind of re restore or return back to the way it looked before having um, been pregnant. So for me, um, I, I knew that this was an issue. I could see it and I could sense it, that this was a much deeper issue that um, these people were having because it, it was something that was affecting how they felt about themselves how they kind of showed up in the world, the way they presented themselves, like the, the clothes that they wanted to wear, but they weren't, um, you know, and many of them were not even going to social events and kind of avoiding and turning down invitations just because they didn't have something to wear that they thought they would look mm -hmm. good in. So it, it kind of trickled into, you know, all aspects of their lives. So beyond the pelvic floor, working with, um, with this specific population, with their cores and their abdomens, it really, it really made me want to learn as much as I could so I can help them as best as I could. And I really did not want to be a source of additional anxiety um, and, and providing additional pressure on them, which they already already had a lot of. Um, I really wanted to, to support them and empower them. But as I continued learning about this condition called diastasis so that I can help them better, I, I uh, just realized how much of it was centered around telling these individuals, don't do this exercise and be very protective and be very careful and, and all of that. But I, and I, I learned a lot and I actually ended up teaching courses to professionals around diastasis. And, but it, it just, it dawned on me at some point along that path where I felt that I was just adding a lot of pressure and unnecessary, I guess, worry and anxiety to these people who are already kind of living um, a very, just a very different life um, compared to before they were pregnant and, and things got really crazy for them. And so I, I just basically knew that um, as I, I was telling individuals, okay, don't do these certain exercises, it just didn't feel right for me. And um, as I continue to evolve my own understanding, I've, I've begun to realize that really having diastasis doesn't really limit people the way I once thought. And so it, since then, I've kind of revamped how I see it. Um, and I'm not the only one for sure, but I've certainly kind of changed my approach and the, the change has sort of been spread around online and through other professionals. So I do continue to teach. Um, but at this point, really what I'm doing now is it's just become my mission to make awareness of diastasis one that isn't associated with fear. That's amazing. And there is a lot of fear. I see a lot of, you know, if you go to Pinterest, it's what not to do, what to do, you know, and there's all these no, no, no. And I think you know, especially during pregnancy, we hear enough no's anyway, don't eat this, don't do that. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's a lot. And, and then you're also trying to take, you know, these new moms who have just given birth, these new parents, they aren't sleeping. They're, you know, they're taking care of a newborn. That's intense. Any of us who've done it know how intense it is. And then they're having this added pressure of healing their core. It's tricky. Yeah. So tell me, I want to hear what you, what you see as diastasis recti, you know, is, and, um, how you said your how you've treated it has evolved through the years. So I want to see that evolution or hear about that evolution. Okay, sure. So 
first of all, um, when we're talking about diastasis rectus abdominis or DR, mm -hmm. really we are, from that definition, we are really looking at just the linea alba, so the, the tissue, the connective tissue strip that's between the two rectus abdominis muscles in the front of the abdomen and it runs vertically from top to bottom. Mm -hmm. And so the traditional definition is one that considers what happens to that structure in pregnancy and so what does happen is over the period of nine to ten months we do have stretching of the abdomen so we do have stretching of that linea alba and so it goes from maybe being less than a couple of uh, fingers in terms of width it, it begins to to widen and lengthen a little bit um, or or a lot depending on the individual. And um, so then what we see in the postpartum period is that the linea alba width in some individuals does remain wider. So diastasis rectus abdominis, when we just translate it literally, it means separation of the rectus abdominis muscle. So that's really what we're dealing with or talking about um, for this particular condition. But what I can say is that Things are evolving, things have evolved, um, and that's reflected in just the, the general notions that are out there, but also in research. So in the past, I would say maybe even past 10 years. So when, when I first started in, in the field, di diastasis recti was really just something that was primarily focused on the gap, the size of the gap, and then reducing yeah. that gap um, in sure. the postpartum period. Um, and we would do that through splinted crunches. So you take a scarf um, and you wrap it around your, your waist, um, you're lying on the ground, and that scarf is sort of crisscrossed in the front of you. And you kind of take both ends of the scarf and, and um, use them in, in a way to approximate or bring closer those rectus muscles as you do a head lift. So it's like they're called, they're, they're called splinted crunches. Mm, yeah. So that was kind of where we were at. That was about 10 years ago. That's all I knew about it. There were potentially other, um, I guess, approaches at that time, but they weren't as uh, popular as they then became a little bit later on. So then things moved along to not using that muscle, the rectus abdominis muscle itself, uh, avoiding it because it's potentially dangerous mm -hmm. according yeah. to, you know, the, the way it was, it was looked at, um, using the, the rectus is not good. So what they, what we ended up doing was shifting away from that and that movement, particularly the head, the head lifting or the flexion, trunk flexion movement to using muscles like the, the pelvic floor in the transverse abdominis. So we went kind of from outer core muscles, like the superficial muscles, to the deeper system, um, which was great because it gave us some idea of uh, the impact of pregnancy on other parts of the, the abdomen, not just you know on the rectus, the space between the rectus. So in a way it did, it did provide some value there. However, it was also still limited in in many ways um, where during during that time and also within that approach we we really do focus on protecting the tissue um, minimizing additional strain minimizing movements avoiding movements including avoiding flexion like i said avoiding 
trunk rotation or like just rotating your body, avoiding backwards bending, avoiding lifting heavy, avoiding um, front loaded positions where you're doing something like a plank or on your hands and knees or even double leg lifting, which is, has been said to be not that great either for, for those who have diastasis under that approach. So we, we went from something that was quite simple, aka splinted crunches. If you have diastasis, you now can do this one exercise and that's, yeah. that's all you need to do to something that became sort of blown potentially out of proportion where now we are not doing really anything other than engaging the TA or the transverse abdominis and engaging the pelvic floor. Um, and while also being very, very cautious of how you move during the day and additional stresses and strains that you're potentially placing on the front of your abdomen. So then, you know, things kind of stayed like that for a bit of time. But in around 2015, we had a paradigm shifting research study that was sort of published by Diane Lee and Paul Hodges. And that kind of changed the whole notion of what we were trying to accomplish with those who have diastasis, where they were showing in that paper that when we engage the TA, as is being done, you know, as was being taught and sort of promoted in, in diastasis healing, when we engage the TA, when you're lying on your back, at least that's the position they were using in the study, that actually what that does is it, it widens the linea alba for those that have diastasis. Mm. And so it kind of was contradictory to the prevailing message that using the TA can reduce the width. And now we have something that's saying it can increase the width, but what it does, even though it does that, it also creates something called tension. So tension um, just means that the, the tissue that was there through that engagement, it was slack and now it becomes taut. Like if you take maybe a string that's about five centimeters long and you hold it at either ends and it, you're holding the ends a bit closer together, the string is a little bit slack. But now if you take the ends and you pull them up to, away from each other, the string becomes taut. So that's what the TA muscle does, at least in that position. It creates tension, tightening, tautness in the linea alba. So that's when the goal became something along creating tension. That's what we should be striving for rather than closing the gap because actually that may not actually happen um, the way we used to think it happened. So that sort of happened around the 2015 mark and then it took some time for that to become a little bit more prevalent and known in in the world of diastasis and postpartum core health um, but even then we've we've made additional advancements as well so it's just this constant evolving um, understanding and shifting of what we are doing with diastasis because now what we're considering is tension as a means of loading the mm, tissue yes so that's where we're at is we are now recognizing that it's not just even about tensioning but it's loading the tissue loading through exercise loading through um, progressively challenging and, and building up your strength by doing progressively harder and harder exercises um, and that process is what 
stimulates those tissues to self-adapt and become a bit thicker, a bit more resilient. And so, yeah, so that's where we, we enter the conversation in, for tensioning. Now we're entering it through the lens of loading the tissue. So we don't even end that. Okay, the goal is to generate tension. The goal is actually to load the tissue. So if that tissue, if we go back to that string analogy and we're holding the two ends of the string closer together and that there's slack there in the, the string, there's there's no loading loading happening through that string. Loading can can happen when we apply the force at either end of it, and now it's become taut. So there's like this kind of force that created that that sort of taut tissue, and that's what we're calling load. We're stimulating it, and once we have that in positions that we have that in exercises that we have that we we can do more and more with it gradually we can ap apply more and more loads through that taut tissue so just creating that tautness first and then applying more and more loads on top of that is what we need so it's kind of the starting point now it's not even the end or the goal it's just the starting point so that's that is where we're currently at it's not just um something that i've kind of discovered on my own but it is just an an evolution that's been happening naturally through also research and just through a lot of clinicians who are sort of, I guess, challenging the, the status quo and challenging what we've been what we've been taught. Um, and then the one thing that I'll say about this uh, new idea of, of our goals and our, our what we're trying to do in terms of healing and management, if we just compare that now to what we initially at the onset of this whole path uh, we're doing, which is the splinted crunches. Well, there there is a benefit to using the head lift maneuver, the doing doing the crunch maneuver. It uses the rectus abdominis, and we now know, um, which is not surprising, but at least we have some studies to kind of back it up and to use. We know that those who are um, th those who are postpartum and those who have diastasis many of them do have a weakness in the rectus abdominis muscle. So it's, it's known, it's a fact, and we, we really need to consider that large muscle in the front and, and, and strengthen it and take, take a look at it, assess it, and also then strengthen it if we discover there's weakness there because it does make up a huge part of the abdomen rather than avoiding it. So I do appreciate that at the onset we were using that muscle. We, we weren't afraid. Um, and then we became sort of afraid of it. And now we're kind of making this full circle and we're beginning to use that muscle again, in addition to the deep muscle. So it's a very integrative approach now rather than just isolated. I love that. I find that, you know, it's like we swing the pendulum to both ends. So it's like in all things, I feel like somewhere in the middle is usually the right approach. Like we go from like only just load and crunch, crunch, right. crunch. And then we went the other way, like don't, don't go near the rectus abdominis like that we need to protect. And now yeah. we're discovering like it's probably somewhere in the middle where exactly. we need to load those tissues progressively um, and not be afraid to do that. But we also need to address that inner core unit. So, yeah. And, and, and I will say that to those listening there, you will see in this age of the internet, <laughs> a variety of approaches online, you know, and it's really tricky sometimes to know who's right in quotation marks, you know, and, you know, what is evidence-based versus what is, you know, what is not. And, you know, I have clients who come to me 
and they say, oh yeah, my, my physical therapist is having me do the towel crunch. And I go, okay, well, you know, so it's tricky. You, you will find a variety of levels of knowledge and skill. And so I think it's really important to find the people you trust, right? Right. Yeah. And, and not just assume, you know, everything you read on the internet is correct. You know, I see a, a lot of, um, a lot of focus on the TA for sure, which is important, but you're saying we, we don't want to protect our core as much. So would you say, how do you progress people in the early postpartum? Like, like what's it look like when they come to you? Do they start at six weeks? Do they start at 12 weeks, one week? Uh, yeah. So because in the, I guess the role as a pelvic floor physiotherapist, um, prior to COVID and prior to me sure. actually relocating as well, but I was seeing patients as early as one to two weeks postpartum, but that was also to do an external screen of the pelvic floor, uh, sure. and just to get a sense of how, how well they are able to connect with their deep core system, but we weren't really strengthening. It was just about connecting and finding the, um, diaphragm, the, the TA muscle, how to engage, how to, yeah. how to engage the pelvic floor and just kind of educating around, um, kind of day-to-day activities like, you know, coughing, lifting, just other things, not really strengthening, but once they are given the green light, um, from their, their medical professional, then we are able to begin the strengthening process. So knowing that pregnancy affects the entire abdominal wall, not just the TA, not just the pelvic floor, not even just the diaphragm, but all of the abdomen. And also knowing that those who have diastasis have been shown to have weakness, lingering weakness in that rectus muscle, as well as in the oblique. So the rotation, their rotation strength also has been shown to be less than those who don't have diastasis. So putting all these pieces together, I actually will begin a program that starts with the deeper core um, activation and, and just coordinating things with the breath. And, um, but I do, I do assess the rectus abdominis. I see how easy it is for them to use that muscle from the beginning. And it is a muscle that they, they use, whether we tell them to do an exercise or whether we tell them to avoid it, they, they're going to use that muscle regardless. They have to get out of bed in the morning. They have to bend over to, to pick up their kids. They're always using the, the abdomen regardless. So I like to see what they can do um, and then I do add some, generally I start with maybe like an isometric rectus abdominis. So just lifting the head and holding for three to five seconds and, and then bringing the head back down. So while that's happening, I will typically be observing internally since that is available to me, but not everybody has that, but I would be watching otherwise externally just from the abdomen, like where, where things are, what's happening, what kind of muscles tend to be coming on when they do that? Are they bearing down? Are they holding their breath? So I'm just, I'm just watching for all of that. But I do get activation going on in that muscle as soon as we are able. And um, I, I then also proceed with, uh, like I said, the TA, pelvic floor, and diaphragm kind of coordination and then begin strengthening through that as well. So as they progress, um, and everybody will go at their own pace, but probably within the next six weeks, um, we will start adding rotation, um, whether it's just kind of body weight, 
movement, no resistance. If some are able to handle the resistance and I kind of meet them where they're at, I don't actually hold anything. I don't hold off unless I see that they're, you know, they're leaking or they're in pain. Like I have sort of this kind of criteria that I use, but for sure, I, I try to get those muscles working um, as soon as possible. This episode is brought to you by the Body Ready Method, our game-changing, interactive, fully online course for perinatal and birth professionals who want to elevate the way they serve their clients. We teach you how to help your clients prepare their bodies for a more functional pregnancy and efficient birth, and teach you what to do when, during birth, through the lens of birth biomechanics. Gain confidence and new skills to support your clients. Sign up for the waitlist for our next cohort at bodyreadymethod.com. So are you, when you're having them do the, where they lift their head off the ground, are you looking for things like doming or bulging or what are your thoughts on, you know, doing an activity and seeing the bulge or feeling, what would you do if somebody was bulging or you felt pressure down on their pelvic floor? Would you regress them? Would you what give them a new strategy? Yeah. Yeah. So for those who have a significant amount of laxity, um, like connective tissue laxity and, and where their abdomens are a bit more distended out, it, the sort of quote unquote mummy pooch, if they have that kind of presentation, um, then when that particular individual lies down and does a head lift, you will, you can expect to see either doming or bulging. That is somewhat of an expectation that we know is going to happen. So it's not really anything you can avoid. Um, but in individuals that don't have that much laxity and, um, let's say the, the abdomen is, is being held in a place where it's sort of closer to the the ribs and the the pelvis like the bony landmarks or the bony framework of the body the abdomen is closer towards that you won't see as much of that doming well you will but for those individuals their tissues also haven't been as stretched out or have been recovering a little bit let's say better than those whose tissues still remain quite lax and, and lengthened so for those individuals, I tend to do a lot of modifications because it's possible for them where we, I would say, okay, if I see some doming, um, try to engage through the TA, try to engage through the pelvic floor and then lift your head up. Or um, it could be the fact that they're, they're bearing down. So I'll be watching and I'll, I'll say, okay, if, can, you, can you sense that you are adding pressure in that direction, that downwards direction, and that the stomach, can you notice that it's kind of pushing out when you're doing that this head lift and there's mirrors all around and so they they'll take a mirror and they'll look um and so it's just educating them and if they're they see that then we can kind of guide them towards a different way of doing it so i'll get them to like i said either engage through the ta and then breathe out through the movement um and then if if they can't do that if they're still producing doming then what I do is I consider how much doming are they producing? Because really, when it comes to doming, it, it not all doming is a concern or is of concern. We're really talking about doming that stretches the tissues significantly, where the tissues are under full stretch, under the pressure of that exercise. And if they can't control that, then I would certainly, I would certainly be modifying, regressing, 
But to be honest, when we're talking about the head lift and we, we're trying to understand how much pressure is actually being produced, if we do go back and look at some of the research for intra-abdominal pressure for that particular movement, it's very, very, very low. In fact, right. there's, there's less pressure produced in doing a head lift than there is in simply standing and breathing. So there's less. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we have to put things into context, uh, into perspective. So it gives us more tools to work with. So um, what I'm doing is if I see doming, I'm going and I'm feeling it. And I'm, is, it, is it really, really firm, hard under my fingers? Or is it a really soft, sort of squishy dome where you can, your, your fingers do sink in quite easily without that much of resistance. So um, the soft dome is what I call it. Um, that's like kind that. of, yeah, they're pretty, they're, there's no concern there at all. So I'm, if, if I see that, I will certainly try to show them other ways of doing the head lift or any, this could go for any exercise, not even just the head lift, but um, I, I will try to teach them other ways because it's good to have a variety of ways to do these, these particular movements. Um, but I certainly won't be kind of bringing too much attention to the doming because I know their tissues aren't under strain. When they are under strain, then I will absolutely regress. I will find a version of an exercise that doesn't do that or that allows them to control things a bit better so it doesn't produce that kind of stretch and strain. I think that's really good to hear because I have it's not what everyone is saying. I will say yeah. that right now. And, you know, yeah, exactly. I remember, I remember going to a, a workshop with a very well-known, um, physical therapist in this space and, um, no judgment on them. Um, but you know, they were having us feel for any itty bitty, just like tiny, mm -hmm. barely noticeable tension, like bulge under our hands. And if, if someone did any sort of just subtle, anything, Mm -hmm. regress immediately. Yeah. And yeah. you're saying, and, and I do think that some of these programs online as well, people get so worried, you know, there's like stages or progressions and people stay stuck in maybe like whatever stage one, right? They're like, well, I can't, I, I can't because I'm doing, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And you're saying, well, maybe you can though, maybe your body does need more load. Maybe you're, you're stuck and maybe you could be healing faster if you would just trust yourself to move on. And we're not talking these huge, like bulging, like it's obvious, right? When, when you're not controlling the pressure, it's a lot more obvious than this little itty bitty. Right. Right. So it's, that's such a good point. Um, because when, when we see pressure, I think it's, there is a lot of fear around seeing pressure yeah. that that in it of itself is something that we could probably talk about for a very long time <laughs> so but true. if we just take like a very like one small detail from that possible discussion that we could have it's that pressure is always there in yeah. the core it's always there our need job or we need pressure yeah. our cores are designed to produce pressure to create it to regulate it it's always going to be there depending on what you're doing, it'll either be a little bit less or it'll be a little bit more or a lot more. So it's always going to be there. And what we end up seeing in those with diastasis is we just, that pressure becomes more visible. We just can yeah. see it a lot better, but it doesn't mean that the pressure is bad. It just means your core is working. Your core is doing what it's supposed to do by producing pressure. Um, and so if we take two individuals that have 
um, that are doing the same exercise and let, let's say the head lift, for example, and they're doing that, one individual doesn't have a lot of tissue laxity or stretched out tissues or, or diastasis, and one does, then they're going to do the same exercise with the same technique, but just because in that one individual, the tissues are more easily stretched into, more expandable, mm -hmm. more extensible, we're just going to see that the pressure is there and being produced, whereas in the other individual, the tissues don't allow us to see it. But it's happening underneath that. It is happening. Right. That's so true. It's so important. So the takeaway from that is like, don't be afraid to progress. Keep yeah. progressing. Your body needs progress. progress. It needs load. Um, so, so I, I want to segue a, a tiny bit. Cause I, I've seen you talk in the past, I believe on surgical versus a non-surgical case. And I just want to throw it out there. Cause I think, you know, first of all, do you think that all diastasis recti can be healed without surgery? Um, or do you think some people may be beyond the level that they could maybe heal with exercise? So, yeah, when it comes to surgery, we as professionals, but also those who are just listening in that may have diastasis, what I can say is we do not know who is going to need surgery. Yeah. And we actually can't look at someone and say, yeah, you, you will need the surgery. You should go for it. And you no, I think you're going to be fine with exercise or, or look at everyone um, and look at all presentations and severities and say, all of you are going to be fine with exercise. You don't need surgery. It is, it is something that um, can absolutely be healed and changed and improved upon just with exercise. So these are very much black and white statements that we'll see out there um, regarding exercise and diastasis and also with surgery. And it does go on, it does happen on the other end as well, where, um, Oh, for sure. In, in, in talking with surgeons, they they will certainly say to some individuals, "No, exercise is not going to help you. I hear no, that too. No too. amount of strengthening really. is going to help you." So it can go either either way. Um, but when it comes to surgery and considering surgery, usually it's the last resort. It's the last option that people right. want to go through, and also that's it's the last resort that people are usually offered as well. They typically want to do some conservative management first. And this is where it becomes, uh, we enter this kind of world of unknown. We don't know how someone's body is going to respond to exercise. Even if, if someone is going through a progressively loading, progressive strengthening program, keeping up with the demands of what they can handle and, and changing the program to sort of keep up with what their bodies need in terms of load and stimulation, and they do it for a long enough period of time, we just don't know if that individual is going to reach their own goals. And so we, we can have two individuals where one person has a what we would maybe classify as a severe diastasis, significantly protruding belly. They, they go through a strengthening program for a long enough period of time. And also they're working on other factors too, like managing stress and watching nutrition um, general fitness and, and kind of looking at other things as well, but they have a long enough period of time that they undergo all of that. And then they may see significant changes in their core, in their physical appearance, as well as their strength. And they may at the end of all of that be like, no, I don't think I need surgery anymore. I'm really happy with where I'm at. 
we could see someone who doesn't have as severe of a case and they they go through the same kind of strengthening program that's customized to them and at the on, at the end of all of that they they actually didn't see as much of the changes that they were hoping to see for them so we have one individual who at the beginning was, if we were to just kind of look at, at the onset, say, okay, we, we, I would think you're a surgical candidate, go through the process and actually not, not be one at the end of it. And someone who was sort of maybe borderline, possibly could go for surgery, but let's try the strengthening and see. And at the end of it, you know what, they did in fact need it. So that's what I mean by you can never look at someone and say you will need surgery or you will not need it. We have to just offer the chance for them to do conservative management, meaning strengthening, um, and also kind of holistically approaching them uh, and looking at lifestyle factors as well. But we have to offer them the chance. And if at the end of that, they are, they've reached a place where they haven't they've either you know, reached their goals or they are noticing they are no longer seeing changes and they want more changes to happen um, and it, that didn't happen with the strengthening, then they can opt, opt for surgery. So it's a process and I think we do need to be very, very aware of that, that it's very individual. Um, we, every individual will respond differently to exercise, probably just comes down to genetics. And then, and then you, you can go for a surgical consult or many if that's where you're at in your, your journey. Yeah. And would you say, um, I mean, I, I see even people who choose to get surgery, they tend to have a better time with the surgery, with recovery from surgery and with the long-term, like their long-term feeling of love towards their abdomen. If they've done that conservative management as well, you know, like working and addressing the core, you know, like the breathing strategy, the TA, like if you're disconnected to all of that and you just go to surgery, it may not be as successful in air quotations as if you were doing exercise alongside it. What do you think about that? Do you, do you tend to see people do both? Do you ever work with someone who hasn't done any exercise and they, they've gotten their diastasis fixed surgically and then they come to see you? Yeah, so that's usually <laughs> when people see me, it's it's before surgery before, and, okay. and before they're even considering surgery as well. So um, generally speaking, I, I'll see them beforehand before they go for the surgery and then I work with them afterwards. So that that's just kind of where I'm at right now. But for sure, there are people for sure who, who don't do exercise, who haven't done exercise. And this is kind of before the age of pelvic health as well. That is kind of blowed up over the past decade. So a lot of a lot of individuals have gone through the surgery. Um, uh, but interesting point, just kind of a sidebar, this surgery is at least in the US, it is the, I think it was a third most common surgery a few years ago, uh, in terms oh, of yeah. plastic surgery. And then um, as of last year, it's the second most common. And so the, the rates of the surgery are going up. Mm. So what we have here, is a, a large population, a large proportion of, of individuals who are getting the surgery, and many of them will not have done any conservative management. Right. And it, that just depends on their kind of their awareness of diastasis, what could have been done, what what may have helped, may not have helped. So 
it, it just depends. So yes, there will be individuals who don't do the surgery, I'm sorry, don't do any conservative management from a strengthening standpoint, get the surgery, and even afterwards, they're they gonna be okay. So it, but what I have found is that if we do some conservative strengthening program beforehand, they have a baseline. They have something that they can kind of go back to after the surgery in terms of body sensation, in terms mm, of what things right. can feel like. Um, because a lot of times what we'll see post-op is that they are in a new body. They are in a body that now also feels foreign and mm. also because of the sensation. So with the surgery, they will. Um, it's a given that you're not gonna have the same level of sensation in the abdomen. Like right. superficially, there's gonna be areas where it's just kind of numb and that's just a, a consequence of the surgery and that may not change over the course of life so there's going to be an area where it doesn't feel the same and post-op you're also dealing with pain and swelling and potentially drains so there's a lot that goes into the post-op recovery and the person once we get to strengthening if we hadn't done some of that work beforehand it's, it is sort of hard to um, get them to reconnect that sense of yeah, reconnection. Exactly. Yeah. So that reconnection can be a bit easier, but it is still possible. There are ways we can right. find that connection regardless. So I think it's just, it's advantageous. And also if you're familiar with exercise beforehand and then also like the deep core muscle system and, and the movements of, you know, flexion and rotation, as well as just connecting with through the breath and the pelvic floor. So if you have that sort of pre previous knowledge and experience, you can just kind of tap back right into that and, and try to reestablish all of that afterwards. It's so true. You know, you think, of, I think of any other surgery that we get, you, we typically have prehab and rehab, right? We, right yeah. we, we, we are very aware in other surgeries, but because this is, you know, it's considered a cosmetic surgery. It's typically not covered by insurance. And I, I don't have a ton of experience with it, but from what I see, I don't, I don't hear of a lot of people getting that information. So it would be amazing if we could get more PTs and surgeons to kind of get on the same page. I'm sure. Well, I'm, I'm sort of giggling. Yeah, I'm just giggling because that's exactly literally what I'm doing right now. Literally oh, working it. on building that out right now. So probably in the next week or so, mm. there are going to be some resources available for individuals who are going through the surgery, um, helping them decide, like how to decide on a surgeon because they, you know, we I will recommend for them to go and see multiple surgeons, not to just get yes. and go with the first consultation that they've had, but to go for several consultations. And then I say we, because it's not my, just me, it's me and, um, and my partner in crime, Lisa Ryan, who was oh, also- Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, so she's- I found her journey. Right, so she, she and I are working together to create some sort of post-op programs and resources for anyone going through sort of preparation for surgery, trying to understand the surgery, but then also into the post-op period. So that all of that's going to be coming out really, really shortly. I 100% agree um, with what you said on like kind of building the relationships with surgeons. I think just like you mentioned right now, it is considered an aesthetic surgery. It's not covered by, by insurance, which is really, really difficult 
difficult for a lot of people to discover afterwards because it, it isn't only just an aesthetic problem. Right. Um, however, that is what it's considered. But when we are talking about, let's say, pelvic floor conditions and, and even incontinence and prolapse and, and these sorts of things that maybe many of us are very aware of now, it wasn't like that. There, It wasn't like that. We didn't always have OBGYNs and midwives, um, urologists, doctors in general referring out for, you know, pelvic health professionals. It wasn't like that. But what it what happened was there were many professionals being trained over a period of time. They started building their relationships with the, the doctors around them. And then we now have that connection between the, the medical professionals, uh, the doctors, as well as the their fitness and rehab professionals. So now we have that collaboration in in many areas not in all but in any and that has not been done yet for this particular I guess uh, uh, group of, of people so it yeah. has not been done but I am so passionate about about that as well so that is currently underway super cool because I believe that people deserve options. I'm a doula. So it's all about options. We don't care what you choose. We just want you to choose what is right for you based on all the information and not based out of fear. That's the doula way. And that should be the diastasis recti way as well. You know, giving the options because I find, you know, you'll get the rehab therapists who go, well, just keep doing these exercises. You must be doing them wrong. Right. Or you're moving too hard or you're lifting your kids too many times or whatever. And then we have the surgeon saying, well, no exercise is going to do anything. Good luck. You know, like come see me for surgery again. We're going on these pendulum swings. Like let's find this place where we're all working together and we're giving these people options. Doesn't mean that, you know, like, like my, my core is, is not exactly what it was prior to four kids but it's functional. You know, I have some skin, but I'm okay with not getting surgery, but that doesn't mean that someone else, you know, Jill down the street maybe has the same presentation as me, but she has a different, she has different goals. So that's okay. Like, let's all just love each other and do what's right for ourselves. Right. So much there. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack there, but yes, I totally agree. More options, less fear mongering and just more, empowering education. Right. So we are in this together. So I, so where can people connect with you? I know people are going to have a million more questions because I feel like we could just be going on for, for hours, but um, where can they connect with you? Yeah. So the best place to connect with me is through my Instagram at Munira Hudani PT. That's where I pretty much post only about diastasis recti and, um, I do have a website, www.munirahudanipt.com. As I mentioned, I am really just right before releasing, like we're right about to release the website for Tummy Tuck Rehab. It may be out when this, com- when this comes out, it may be live. So we'll make sure that we have that in the show notes. Okay, wonderful. That'd be so great. Yeah. And so that, that will be available as well. And there will be an Instagram page for that tummy tuck rehab as well. Super so cool. I'm that. really excited for that resource. That is something that is really needed in the world. So yes. thank goodness for you. Oh, <laughs> I'm excited. Well, thank you. This was amazing. Um, and we will talk again soon. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. It was great. Thank you for listening to Pros Talk Pregnancy, the podcast. 
We are passionate about making the childbearing years better. And as professionals, when we work together, that is when we see the greatest shifts. So thank you for being here with us. Please consider leaving us a rating and a review. This really helps us to get this important paradigm shifting information out there to those who need it. Also, if you are a game-changing perinatal or birth professional, or you know someone who is and would be interested in coming on the podcast, we want to hear from you. Please reach out at podcast at bodyreadymethod.com. As always, I am so honored to be here with you. See you next time.